This is the On All Cylinders Podcast. Powered by Summit Racing. Your host for today is Summit Racing's David Fuller with special guest, Ultra 4 racer and off-roading expert, John Grounds. Here we go. Welcome to another episode of the On All Cylinders Podcast. I'm your host, Dave, and uh, this week we're going to be talking some Ultra 4 racing, and our guest is John Grounds from Proven Grounds Racing. John, how you doing? Doing well, David. Great to uh, be on here with you. Yeah, well, I mean, I want to kind of get into uh, you know Ultra Four Racing and uh, what it is and how to get involved and, and all that. But I think a good place to start is just kind of tell us about yourself. Tell us about Proving Grounds and uh, what you guys do there. Yeah, yeah. I know we spoke uh, a little bit earlier after King of Hammers this year. Uh, that's the first race of the Ultra Four Racing series. Um, Proving Grounds Racing or Proving Grounds Motorsports, we've been around, uh, I started in 2015 when I bought a Jeep LJ. It was already a Ultra 4 race car at the time. I bought it from another company and I figured I'd start racing. Um, Been in the industry pretty much all my life with Jeeps and off-road. So I had rock crawlers and things like that and different Jeeps in my college and earlier career in the industry. And I figured, man, I could race. I could totally do that, which probably was the biggest mistake of my life. Um, no, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> but it's, uh, it started, you know, back in my twenties and man, it's grew to, you know, a huge, uh, support group, you know, a, a huge team that supports us through multiple States, uh, of crew that fly out or drive to, depending on where the races are. We started out in the Ultra 4 4500 class, which is what races and what they call an Everyman Challenge or EMC. And it really does stand for that. Um, Everyman Challenge basically is the class that anybody can build a car to compete in, whether it's a grassroots team of guys and buddies that like to drink beer on the weekends and want to build a car to battle it out in the harshest uh, single day race at KOH or try their, uh, try their best in the regional series, whether it's East, West or North for them, depending on where they're located at. And I started in that class as kind of like the beginnings of learning the do's and don'ts. I had a truck and trailer and I sleep on the trailer at the races. You know, I, I remember looking at some of these guys with huge toter homes and semis and I'm like, Holy moly, how do they get there? Like how, I look at my small program and I look at these huge, you know, other companies that are doing this. It's, it's just the people that they surround themselves with. And as they grow their career, you know, they get better and better. And for us, that was, that was kind of what, what proving grounds did Um, started with the 4,500 car and my co-driver at the time built a 4,600, which is a stock class car. Um, Another class in ultra four that you can compete in, which is, Uh, A spec class for um, 35-inch tires, it's usually a production vehicle, whether it's a Jeep or a Toyota. Um, There's a lot of Cherokees or Grand Cherokees in there. I saw a new JL and a new Bronco in there this year, in this season. That was interesting to see, uh, those new builds. But we built that, so we had two different series of cars. And this past season... In mid, mid-year of the COVID, COVID pandemic, we decided to build a Ultra 4 4400 car, which is, they call it the Unlimited Series or the Unlimited Ultra 4, which anything goes. You can 
put whatever motor you want, whatever chassis, whatever size tire. There's pretty much no limitations other than safety equipment. And so we ventured out with the Miller Motorsports um, Pro Chassis. And with your team's help, man, Summit, really everything on that car is from you guys. It was incredible to be able to put the car together and be able to race this whole entire series in a brand new car and see the transitions from going from a stock class to the EMC 4500 modified class to now this large open motor, high performance, high horsepower 4400 car. You, you kind of get a feel for the transition of growing through your racing program or the series. And it's it's been a humbling adventure over the last uh, eight or nine years of racing. We're almost done with this year in Ultra 4. They have many different series of racing as far as King of Hammers is the largest race. It opens the series. It's almost like the Daytona 500 of NASCAR. 50,000 people show up to the middle of Johnson Valley, uh, Southern California, and a city is born. It's like exactly. the off-road burning man. I don't yeah. know if you've seen pictures. Uh, or... Absolutely. I mean, it's just, it's amazing. It just, it seems like it, it pops up out of nowhere. Um, I know you and I were talking earlier in the year and it's just like, uh, it, it's gotta be on the bucket list now. It looks so cool. And I know there's a huge community with that too, right? You guys are all part of this community that uh, you're competitors, but you're also help each other out. It's really a cool experience. It is. I mean, there's street signs that Ultra 4 creates to put a grid together to where if you need UPS to drop something off to you, you you now have an address in the, in the middle of the desert that you can get parts from. We brought our shop basically to the lake bed with us just in case we needed something on that new build. And we had multiple teams come in asking for help or you know tools or if it was hardware. We brought our whole entire Fastenal selection of hardware with us. And I, I feel like we were the hardware depot for that week. Because other people would tell other people, hey, go to the Proving Grounds guys. They have like a whole entire Ace Hardware with them. It's a definite family-oriented style of racing. Everybody is everybody's friend in the pits. Obviously, once you hit the green flag and, the, and it drops, you know, it's, it's game on for racing. But for us, and especially for me, I want to beat my component on the racetrack, not because they had a failure. So if anything, if our team can help them get to the start line, you know, we will. There's a lot of teams, you know, that, that are like that because it's, it's more grassroots racing as ultra four grows. I feel like as far as series in off-road racing, cause there's ultra four, you have best in the desert, uh, score racing, which is pretty much most of like the Baja 1000, the Baja 500 and things like that. More snore racing is another uh, series of racing on the West Coast. I feel that the Ultra 4 is definitely more family-oriented as far as uh, teams um, working together to help each other throughout the different races. That's cool. And we absolutely should back up and just talk a little bit about Ultra 4 racing and some of the unique aspects to it. I mean, going back to that chat about the King of Hammers, it's rock crawling, it's desert racing, there's some endurance involved with it. Just talk about all the different elements there are to Ultra 4 and then some of the challenges that it presents. Yeah, so Ultra 4 prides itself on four-wheel drive capability racing. Most of the other dirt track or circle track racing out there is two-wheel drive. 
Ultra Four brings a full new aspect to racing, basically saying we can go 120 miles in the desert, sure, but we can also go 30 miles an hour through a rock canyon with boulders the size of Honda Civics and still compete and go back into the desert again to go to the next rock trail. Uh, Ultra Four is sort of like man versus machine. King of Hammers, for example, you're in the car for over 12 hours competing to get to a finish line. Roughly 250 miles of the wildest rock trails, goat trails, desert. It brings every single aspect of a challenge to a vehicle, whether it's trying to go through the whoops and keep the car together at 100 miles an hour, or if it's trying to climb a 12-foot waterfall, which they call the uh, back door, which is one of the obstacles that is in King Hammers. And it's literally a rock face that's 10, 12 feet tall. And we motor up it or some winch up it, but it is a, it's a cliff. And it's just one of those spectator uh, moments that you can sit there and you can sit there all, all race day long and watch these cars compete and try to go up this thing and they'll roll over and there's smoke and tires everywhere and their winch lines are going and some people are driving over other winch lines because they're trying to beat the person winching up it's insane it's literally insane it's like mad max but like not so like i don't know it's dangerous i guess but it's it's insane you're competing against others you're competing against nature you're competing against you know mechanical i mean there's just so much to it right one of the things that i take away from that race is when the green flag drops all you want to do is drive fast you just want to get out there and just go and there's three laps in the king of hammers and the first lap is desert and normally it's about 80 to 100 miles of pure desert racing, high speed. There's a lake bed where you can top out. It's about two miles long and you just see how fast your car can go. And we've seen 124. We've seen, I think Tom Ways hit 132. Um, just, I mean, wide open racing. You know, you get through the first lap and you think, man, first lap's done. Well, wait, there's two more laps and now it's all rocks. And so you have two laps of, which is about 50 to 60 miles, maybe of rock trail after rock trail after rock trail. And you, you finish one, you're like, Oh man, glad that's over. And you're heading right back into <laughs> another the one. Next one. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the cool thing about it is every rock trail is different. And after every car goes through it, the rock trail changes because these cars have such horsepower that You'll, you'll start to move boulders and you, you start changing the lines of what maybe when you pre-ran it was the line to take. But now that four or five other cars went through it and got stuck and kicked up all these rocks, well, you got to find a new way around it now. And in the rocks is where you make up, I feel that you make up all of your time racing. Because if you have your car dialed for shock tuning, and if you've pre-ran, and if you've know the capabilities of your car and you trust your co-driver, you can make up a lot of time in the rocks where teams that may, maybe didn't pre-run or maybe didn't um, practice winching up a certain obstacle, you can gain that time on them by those positions. And so having that 12 hours of racing, or I think it's 14 hours total, but having that kind of a time frame 
to from start to finish gives you the opportunity to where if you have a mechanical failure or if you get a flat tire or you, something and a power steering pump goes out and you have to change that in the pits, you're not out of the race. Some of the races, like we just raced um, Crandon two weeks ago, and it's a short course race. The heats are 30 to 45 minutes. If you lose a power steering pump, I mean, you're, you're out of the race. Right. And so King of Hammers gives you that opportunity to where you can overcome obstacles that you may run into that may not be from the actual course. It could be from the machine. It could be from your co-driver getting dehydrated. I mean, there's so many different things that can happen. It, it really is one of the toughest races in the world. Yeah, lots of different challenges. Obviously, there's a lot of driving strategy, day up strategy. But what goes into on the building strategy side of things? What goes into you know putting together uh, you know a vehicle? I mean, I know it's dependent on class, but what what goes into the thought process there? I know you said you got an LS seven. You guys hit some pretty high speeds. You also have to be able to navigate rocks, which I mean, I'm sure you have to take spare parts, all that. So what what goes into building the vehicle? And after you, you talk about that, just tell us a little bit about vehicles that uh, you're you're focused on right now. You know, every vehicle is different and every vehicle I feel has its own weak points or items that you may know is a weak point. And so you'll, you'll need to carry a spare part. Uh, we have brackets on the car that hold spare drive shafts in case we lose one in the rocks. Um, spare alternators, just with going super long days in that kind of heat with the fans for the cooling and, you know, all the different things when it goes dark and the lights are on and it's draining and pulling that kind of power. Alternators are, are seemingly one of the things that just go out in these types of vehicles in the terrain from being so hot and fatigued. So spare parts and strategically placing spare parts on the car to where you physically have them. So King of Hammers, you can't chase. So Vegas Torino, you can chase your car. And if you break down, your pick can get to you. You can only work in your car in the pits at KOH. So if you break down five miles out of pit one and you need a drive shaft and you don't have one in your car, well, you're playing rock, paper, scissors to see who's running back to go get a drive shaft to, to come back and put it in the car. Um, so those types of things are what you know we like to anticipate happening to where it's kind of like if, if you have it, you won't need it. Um, but we carry spare drive shafts. We have a full range toolbox on the car to where we have sockets and the wrenches, uh, gaff tape, um, bailey wire. We have spare bolts for pretty much everything that could go wrong, whether we lose a control arm or a link uh, or a sway bar link or things like that. And one of the things we do is we actually drill the ends of the bolts to where we could put a cotter key or a safety clip through it. To where if we don't have a nut or the nut's gone, we can still hold that bolt in before we get it to the pit. So that's just one of the racing things we've, I've learned over the years of, man, I don't have a nut for this or the nut fell off. How am I going to hold the bolt? That's, that's one of the things that I came up with and, it, and it's worked. I would imagine you've learned a lot of things the hard way. I mean, you've got <laughs> to be willing to learn that way, right? I mean, that's part of it. I'm sure you try to prepare, but there's the unexpected. So I have to imagine that's part of it. There's so much that you learn unexpectedly through tribe and tribulation, right? I mean, it's just the, the trials that you go through on every race are never the same. You know, no race is ever the same. Um, we've had 
great success. We've also had great failures. Um, I mean, we've yard sailed a car and end over end, you know, wadded one up before just not being prepared. We didn't pre-run and, and it cost us. So there's a lot of things we learn, especially with spare parts and, and things like that. Um, and keeping on the car to keep the car moving. We carry spare power steering lines because those are pretty vulnerable in the rocks and getting chafed or getting snagged and things like that. So that's one of the key things we do keep in the car. Spare fluids is another huge thing. If we roll on our side and we lose power steering fluid or motor oil, we want to be able to roll back over, fill up the car and keep going versus saying, oh, well, you know, we got to call it quits because we don't have any oil for the motor. So we have to strategically place all these things in a car that is still narrow enough to fit between these uh, hard, tight corridors on the trails, but still be compact enough to fit a driver and a co-driver with ample enough room to be able to function. While, while we raced King of Hammers this year, we had a failure on the front end, and it was unfortunate because we didn't have those spare parts with us. And we, we continued on trying to get further and further through the trail in the rocks. And unfortunately, we, we damaged the car more trying to do so. And it actually ended our day because of it. And, and like you said, another hard lesson of, you know, what parts we were using to what we're using now, you know, we've upgraded because we, we saw the weak link. I think the biggest thing for what I've learned over the last few years racing is making sure that you're using the top tier products that are out there and products that you believe in is going to give you the best prep and the best race race day in your car. Again, like you said, that's just years of experience of learning what does and doesn't work. And one of the reasons, you know, when we built this new 4,400 car this year, we made sure that we had it already listed out of all the components we wanted to use. And in between those components, sure, there were some that, like our front end failure, we found the hard way that we should have went a different direction. But in consulting other drivers now in this larger class, they're the ones that were like, hey, this is what we're using. Try this. So it's that knowledge and the tribal knowledge that they have over racing the larger classes that now is getting kind of passed down to my program to where, you know, we're, we're learning all of these things. You mentioned a 4,400 car. Um, let's, let's get into a little bit of what you guys are racing in this year. I think you, you've got two vehicles. You mentioned, I think, earlier that that's a challenge in itself, managing two vehicles versus one. Let's talk about the vehicles. Uh, give us a, a kind of a rundown of uh, you know, maybe the differences uh, with classes uh, with those vehicles and then you know what's powering them and uh, just some, some of the specs behind them because they're quite the machines. Yeah. Um, so currently we have a 4,400, which is the unlimited class. And that is basically a full tube chassis race car or a buggy that some people might call it. We ordered the tubes from Miller Motorsports, which is a Miller Motorsports pro chassis. And here at fly off road in the shop, we built it on our fixture tables from the ground up. We used, you know, the Miller's components but we put in an LS7 power plant with a turbo 400 and, you know, an Atlas transfer case. And we ended up going with larger axles than our 4,500 car because of the power. Power to rate ratio, it's something that's stronger, it's larger, it'll survive in the conditions and the horsepower that, you know, we're putting into it. There's no regulation on the 4,400. So we're running a 40 inch tire. 
we run 40 inch BFTs with dirty life race wheel 17s. Um, a lot of guys are running 17 inch wheels because tire flex is a big thing to have in the rocks to where if you're running a 20 and the tire deflects, the rock is going to hit that 20 inch rim much sooner than it's going to hit a 17. And the odds of denting or cracking or damaging a rim is much more prominent because there's less sidewall flex and less movement that the tire can make, you know, and there's, there's no regulation for um, motor size. So we could have naturally aspirated, we could do turbos, we could do, you know, anything like that. Ours is naturally aspirated. We've actually used a ton of the summit racing components for plumbing and internals and all that stuff on, on our motor. You know, I think everything, any fluid management and pretty much every fitting that's on that car came straight from Summit Racing. We were able to capitalize on a lot of your guys's items, just one being in stock because nothing, nobody had anything during COVID. And two, you guys had everything. We were surprised of how many items that Summit Racing offered for our type of racing. Because before, you know, growing up, Summit Racing to me was hot rods, classic cars. And so, you know, stepping into this new build and venturing through your guys' online um, website, it was incredible seeing all the different components that, you know, we were able to order from you guys and, and build this car with. We appreciate that. We are more than thrilled to be involved with uh, what you do. Like I said, it's such a fun form of, of motorsports. And uh, I, I wanted to back up real quick on the LS7. You can pretty much choose whatever you want, right, on that for engine. So what made you uh, decide to go with the naturally aspirated LS7? One of the things that I look at in different uh, racing competitors out there is what makes them do so well but also what are their setbacks? And so when I look at Campbell Enterprises or Miller Motorsports Racing or the Gomez Brothers, Tom Ways, you know, these heavy hitter, fast racers, you know, and what they're building and what they're doing. And a lot of them are all naturally aspirated. And one of the reasons for it and talking to a few of them is there's, there's just less moving components. There's less room for failure. You can fit an engine versus having turbos and having a supercharger and things like that, try to fit into a compact vehicle already that's purpose-built for rocks. Having something that's high horsepower, it's reliable. And most every single racer doing what we do has an LS-based motor to where if I lose something on my car, if I need a starter, an alternator, a, a valve spring, or a rocker, you know, something on the motor, an oil pan. I can almost guarantee I can walk through the pits at any race and one, if not two guys would say, oh yeah, I got one of those in my trailer. And so the LS7 versus the LS3, you know, we, we decided, you know, go with the LS7 because we had the room for it. But also with an LS3, what we would have wanted to do to it would almost leave it at the brink of extinction every single race. It would be just at the cusp of will it survive what we're about to put it through? Whereas the LS7, what we did to it and where we're at in our horsepower range and driving capabilities, it is right in the middle of being self-taught, self-tuned, and it's we're not running it on the ragged edge every single race. 
Do you do you see some force induction setups out there? And also, are most of these uh, rigs kind of in the same horsepower area? You know, it, it's funny that you say that. So one of my good friends races in what's called the 4800. It's a legends class, another everyman challenge class that they race in. And his car is twin turboed, LS powered, and he sent over the dyno sheets and to the wheels was 910 horsepower. And I mean, he sent it in a group text message and we're like, holy smokes, Chuck, that's crazy. <laughs> but what's, what's crazy is that one of the things that Chuck runs into now is the transmission overheats and loss of drivetrain. And so he's going through, it's a new car that he built. And so he's going through all of those new car blues and growing pains of what, what will live with my you know, large horsepower machine. And there are some other guys that do, you know, the similar setups. Uh, I know some of the stock Toyotas because they come turboed, they have to run the factory engine. So there's a few of them out there. And there are a few naturally aspirated guys that are just stupid fast. The fun havers, Lauren Healy and Von Gittin uh, built two brand new Broncos and Ford power plants, and they just take off like a rocket. Uh, Paul Herschel as well. I mean, just they're gone. And, you know, I'm sure that they're pushing, you know, close to a thousand horsepower in those motors too. And you can definitely see it in short course racing, how, you know, their cars are fast in the corners and fast out of the corners. It's just, they have that horsepower to get them in and out. So it's one of those things where you battle, they may have the most horsepower, but they have to keep the car alive. They have to keep the car together, you know, whether it's a flat tire or if it's, you know, a spun rod bearing or, you know, uh, any of those types of things, you know, can happen. A, a rollover, uh, bicycling through a G out in a turn. I mean, there's so many what ifs, you know, for us, we, we never, I never count on, oh man, I guess they're racing. We're, we're probably not going to win. Like I, I, I never think that. I think one of the things I always tell myself racing is practice like we've never won, but race like we've never lost. And it's kind of just one of those things where focused on winning, don't focus on who you're racing. And that's really helped us in our 4,500 car this year. We've had ups and downs with it. King of Hammers, we blew the motor. I think we made it seven miles. Like we, we prepped for months. We brought 20 people out for the team. We, we did all of these things. We qualified top 10 and at mile seven, we lost the motor. You want to talk about deflating. <laughs> All you can do is learn from it. Well, tell us a little bit about that 4,500 and, and that class as well. Yeah. The 45 is, is one of the cooler cars that I like. Uh, one of the reasons is because it looks like a Jeep Wrangler. It has the body of a Jeep Wrangler, uh, Jeep LJ per se, uh, with the extended long wheelbase in the back. And it's street legal. I have a tag and registration. I drive it on the road here in Arizona. And it's one of the cars that I've, I've had from the beginning, you know, it's limitations are 37 inch tires and they have to be DOT. So we run a DOT BF Goodridge crawler, which is sort of like their mud terrain, but a little bit more aggressive, 14 inch travel shocks front and rear, and we can't do trailing arms. So the shocks have to be mounted to the axles. So it limits the travel of the cars. Same goes for the steering. The steering has to be mechanically driven. 
whether that's by a steering box or like a boat gear with um, steering cables of some sort. There's other limitations where it used to need to be a production motor. Again, one of those things where motor placements for cars, most guys run an LS1 or an LS3 because you can find them a dime a dozen. What we can't run in that class is like an LSX because an LSX isn't a production motor. It's an aftermarket style block. And because it's not to the public or 250, I think is the limit of production vehicles that ultra four states in the rule book, you know, needs to be, or needs to be able to be used. So we're currently downstairs here in the shop at fly off road. The guys are pulling what we used to run, which was a five, nine Mopar. We've had that in there for since the beginning and we rebuilt it this year. Yeah. After King of Hammers, cause we went seven miles. So we rebuilt it and the next race we were on the podium and then the next race we were on the podium and every single race this season, other than King of Hammers, that car has hit the podium. It's so cool because it's a Jeep. There are guys that build purpose built 45 cars that are two chassis with, you know, the limitations through the class, but guys are building these cars to be specific for this and we're racing a jeep wrangler that was built in 2004 with you know some modifications some shocks and you know just you know unique things to it and we're hitting the podium every single race this year it's super cool that's awesome yeah absolutely so you know maybe a silly question but you've got an unlimited class you've got the 4500 where's where's the biggest challenge in that you would think that maybe the class that, you know, where you've got some requirements and things like that might be you know, a little bit tougher, but what's the biggest challenge uh, between the two? I think the biggest challenge for us and myself as a driver is being committed to driving both vehicles, prepping both vehicles, mm-hmm. you know, managing the, the team and the guys on both vehicles because you, you want to focus on the newest car because that's, that's the newest hot ticket for the program. And that's what a lot of people are watching right now as you know, we grow in our career. But you can't forget about where you've come from, which would be the 45 class. And so the juggling effect of making sure you're ordering the correct parts for one car versus the other and what shop nights the team's going to work on one car versus the other. I can specifically remember we were racing in Moab, Utah, and I had myself in the car and I was racing with Dave Baldoff. We were going through, we missed a turn and ended up taking about a 10 minute loop back through the course. Like we, we basically just did a full circle and we were so frustrated. And I was like, Dave, I can't focus on two cars. Like I kind of have like a meltdown. And like, he started laughing. He's like, dude, it's okay, man. Like, it's fine. And even with our mistake in doing those things, we still landed on the podium for that race. And so after the race, you know, he came up to me and he's like, see, we had it the whole time. Chill out, it's man. stressful. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think that's one of the biggest challenges that, that I've run into. And I never, I never saw it coming. You know, I, I never thought you know, I guess I've never had to deal with two cars and I've always dealt with one, you know, it's just, there's so much more prep. I feel that goes into these cars now that we're 
I like to think that we're a high caliber team and a program, you know, there's a, there's a lot of good things coming out of us and what we're doing and a lot of um, spectators and fans that watch what we do because of, you know, who we are and where we come from. And, and so making sure that the cars are dialed and the wraps on the cars look good. The cars aren't dirty. We do a lot of shows and events in the off-road industry. Fly Off-Roads are title sponsor, and they're an armor company for Jeeps, Wranglers, JKs, JLs, JTs. And so we do a lot of shows and events, uh, Jeep Beach being one of them. We do like off-road expos and things like that. So we want to make sure that the cars not only are prepped for the races, but are able to be able to make these other events for some of our supporters to the program to where when people look at them, they're like, holy moly, that's a Jeep. Or, you know, like it just, that's a really cool car. It's a, it's a crowd getter because they're so just out there. They're so different than what most people see. And I think that's the toughest thing for us is, is managing that. And I think coming with time and personnel on the racing program and staff to be able to help on the prep side of things and managing going through the checklist, we'll get better at it. But that's been, I think, this whole year's challenge of, of working both. And yet juggling all that, you've still, you've made every single race this year. Give us an update on the season and uh, where you stand and, and how you're feeling. Um, I think we're the only team, Bailey Cole has been to every race, but he lost a motor in qualifying and didn't physically race one of the races. But other than him, we have raced every single ultra four race that's been in this season. One of the reasons why we wanted to do that was just to get seat time in the new car. We wanted this first year with the car coming to life to say that we, we went through all the issues, all the new car blues. We, we went through all the little tweaks and learning curves about the car to where next year we can have a great season. Unannounced to us, we've had a great season in the new car. We've had ups and downs. Uh, King of Hammers, obviously, we, we ended short for us. But through the season in the 4400 class, we've kind of gone through this weird, if we don't get out of the car with an issue, we're on the podium. And Montana was the first race for us that we had no issues with the car, no hiccups. We never had to get out. And it was a 250 mile race. And we landed second for the 4400, which was the first podium that we had in that brand new car. And we were just ecstatic, one, to finish, but two, to know that we did finish second because we were chasing Bailey Cole at the time was great. Uh, we went through the season and landed uh, another sixth place, another top 10, another top 10, and just kind of went through this back and forth of as long as we do a good prep and as long as we can keep the car together, you know, we'll do well. So the 4,400 for us has, has been really great. The regional series has ended from Crandon. So Crandon ended the North and the East series because they were combined races together. So for the 4,400 for this season in the Western regional, I think we landed 15th or 16th out of a total that have raced starting KOH was over 150. So just kind of perspective of how many drivers are, you know, in this class. Um, so we landed 15th, which is not bad for the first year out with it. And along with that, I feel that there are faster drivers on the West coast of our racing program or racing series. Just there's more racing involved on the West. There's a lot more short course tracks, the desert Baja. So I feel like we've 
got a lot to grow, but we have room to succeed in on the Western Series. For the North, we landed third for the Regional Series in the brand new car, which again, a huge, you know, overcoming obstacle for us. And the team is well impressed with just being able to keep the car together and do so well for the series. And then on the Eastern side of things, which Miller Motorsports is from the East. So these cars are purpose-built, not only for King of Hammers. These cars are so nimble between trees and the steering is so fast that you can bob and weave through the trees and the forests and the, the different terrains from east to west. And we landed second for the Eastern wow. Regional Series. I, I, I remember Eric, uh, the owner of Miller Motorsports, messaging me just saying, I am so proud of you guys for you know, achieving and working so hard for you know, what you guys have, have built. And it, it's, it truly has been a great year for the new car. Going to the 45 car, even though Hammers was a um, shortcoming for us, on the Western Series, um, we landed second for the Western Regional Series for uh, the 4500. And we've always had been the fourth place, the fifth place for the Regional Series. We've always been outside of that. And I, I feel this year has been the best year, not only because we're learning more about the car, but we have so many new partners in our program this year that helped us succeed that, like I mentioned before, the better parts really go the distance when you're talking about succeeding in a race car or battling the obstacles that these cars are put through and, you know, growing our program with you know partners like Summit Racing and Spider Tracks, Fly Off Road, Fox Shocks, like the, these are the companies that really do make these cars come to life and succeed. And so second was what we landed for West. We landed second for the Northern Series in the 45. And unfortunately for the East, we skipped out on one of the races that we didn't race in Tennessee with um, due to we broke a rocker stud. So we're waiting on parts to come in to do all the rockers and everything together. And we skipped out of that. So we didn't place on the East. We would typically go to nationals to compete in the national championship, but because national championship is weighted by the hammers points, we're Mm -hmm. not in the top 10 running. And so we decided we're going to start tearing the car down for the rebuild. We're going with another LS seven motor. And we're going to, you know, bring this car to life to where we can stay on pace on podium and try to keep the cars similar, similar parts in the trailer. So it's the same alternator. It's the same starter, the same serpentine belt. Keeping more of a uniform program between the two cars is easier to manage. And instead of having two different totes of race car parts, well, now it's one tote that can be used for either one. That seems only too smart. Yeah. uh, (laughs) But it makes it makes a ton of sense. Yeah. What a season. You know, you you mentioned uh, coming out of the gate at King of Hammers, a little tough, but you're just looking to get seat time in one car and it does tremendously. And then managing two vehicles for the first time and still so much accomplished during the season. So congratulations on that. Yeah. Thank you. It's this has been our best season yet. And we're excited to to get better and better. I know you mentioned, you know, people really kind of watch you. They know you've kind of, going back to the beginning, you've kind of come up through the ranks, uh, you know, the everyman class and all that. 
So I guess touching back on that point, if somebody was looking to get their feet wet in this, get a start in this, uh, in Ultra 4 racing, you know, where do they start? What's your recommendations there for somebody that's uh, coming up? If someone were to come and ask me, I would love to race King of Hammers, what should I build? I would most likely tell them to build a UTV or some sort of stock shape JL or possibly a Forerunner or maybe a new Bronco. I say the UTV because most people already have one recreationally. And for safety rules, there's not many things that need to be done to have that car legal for Ultra 4. And some of those safety things are good things to have already in a recreational vehicle like that. The five-point harnesses, um, safety window nets. So in case you roll over, you don't fall out the window. It's a competitive class, but in the scheme of things, they're small to where you can fit it in your toy hauler and go camping for the weekend at one of the races. And you don't need a big trailer, things like that. Parts are small. So, you know, parts and tires. So you can fit these types of things in totes or, you know, strapped to the car on a small trailer or inside of a small enclosed. The stock class is a great class too, because most of the stock class, there's not, there's many limitations. So there's not many modifications that you would need to do to a stock car to be in the competitive running for the class. Same thing applies for the safety regulations, but you can take a stock JK or a stock JL and put a full roll cage in it with some window nets and a fuel cell. And 35s is the tallest tire you can have on it. So you don't need a big lift. You don't need all these crazy different things. And you can run what you brung and have fun with your friends. You can be competitive. Again, King of Hammers is one of those races where you could have the fastest stock guy out there. But if he blows a turn and barrel rolls it in the desert, well, it doesn't no good. So there's so many things that can happen in that race that almost anybody can be competitive to be able to win that race if you put the time into that program into the car. Some guys say the luckiest guy on race day is the one who wins. No issues, you know, a good prep. Uh, you don't run out of fuel because that seems to be the <laughs> one of the things that happens at KOH is fuel consumption isn't adequately calculated. <laughs> yeah. But I would say the UTV or stock class for sure for the entry level guy coming in. And kind of like you said, you start in that, in that lower tier class and you move up, you move up the ranks and, and you learn about the sport and how ultra four works and how the series is run. That way, as you grow into the sport, you know, you can, your, your learning curve and your education of what you're doing gets better and better. We mentioned earlier, kind of learn from the experience, uh, whether it's successes or failures, it's huge. Uh, any resources that you can recommend uh, as far as if you were interested in, you know, at least looking in to being a part of this? Resources wise, I would say the best thing you could do on any, any program or team or sport that you're trying to get into, whether it's Ultra 4, the UTV class or stock or whatnot, is follow the teams that race it. Look and follow into what they're doing on social media, what they post about. Read their race reports to see what they're overcoming and what they, what they have to deal with during those races. Kind of like uh, just educating yourself on what other teams do and or don't do. There's a lot of cool places where uh, there's YouTube streams where different teams have different YouTube highlights where they'll highlight videos on races or 
changes to their car because of a shortcoming they found. There's a couple companies out there. I know Summit Racing has on all cylinders. And it's a great platform to be able to read about, you know, some of the other teams and other racing divisions out there that other teams are, are into and, and what, you know, they find themselves doing or involved in. That'd probably be the easiest stepping stone to start with. Well, John, I really appreciate the time. Before we let you go, I got, I'm going to just ask, I know you mentioned the, the 45 upgrades, the new engine, all that. What else? I know you've got a few other projects going on. You guys are extremely busy in the shop. Tell us about uh, everything that's going on there. We got so many things going on. We're excited about the new 4500 uh, overhaul with the LS7, new axles and some tubing and framework. But on top of that, uh, here at Fly Off-Road, we ventured into the off-road series and we just bought Monica, a Jeep Gladiator JT. The lift kit just came in. We got 40-inch tires for it. We're basically converting. I don't think she knows yet, but I guess she's going to find out soon. We're converting this into like our chase vehicle. It'll have, you know, spare tires and fuel. It'll have a jack to where at the races, she or anyone can hop in it and get to a pit, set up, you know, a hot pit for us to where everything we need is in this. You know, one of the things that we're also doing as I still have a full-time job other than racing. So I'm the <laughs> director of engineering at Fly Off Road. So on top of racing full-time, yeah. um, we're also building new innovative products for the JLs, the JTs, the JKs. You got 36 so, hours in your day. Is it? <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> right. I tell people I'll sleep when I'm dead. So we're building new products for that as well. So we have so much going down the pipeline on new products and new builds. There's a semi that we picked up earlier this year, and we just picked up the trailer for it, which is a 53-foot Kentucky Lowboy, which is perfect for the lower floors to be able to add a workbench-style leveling floor to where the cars drive onto the workbenches. And in the front of that, you can have living quarters. So the front 13 or 14 feet will have living quarters, uh, bathroom, shower, and a communication spot for the team. And the back garage will have the toolboxes and all the equipment, the 53 foot by 20 foot awning that the cars can be under. So at King of Hammers, when it's 30 degrees outside and 45 mile an hour winds, you can stay protected yeah. with the walls down and the fire, propane fire going and keep warm in you know working on the cars that's one of the biggest things i think is a huge plus to have i have a single car uh 44 foot hauler with living quarters that has an awning with it and it's great for one car one car fits in the trailer we can go all over the place with it having two cars another challenge i guess that we found out was how do we get two cars to the races and that was where we said let's get a semi because we can use the semis for shows and events. We can use it for races and traveling across the country. And it's good exposure for a marketing billboard going across the country. I mean, we, we put 50,000 miles on our show circuit every year to where that's 50,000 miles that fly off-road, Proving Grounds Racing, Summit Racing, you know, our, our partners in our program are shown off at all these different places and events. Sounds fantastic. Uh, just keep adding to the team and know what you have there. Yeah. You've really worked your way up through and uh, had a great season and uh, hoping and wishing you a great year ahead. So again, John, thanks so much uh, for sharing all your time today. Yeah, it, it's, been a, it's been a pleasure. Well, take care. Thanks, Dave. 
This has been the On All Cylinders podcast. Powered by Summit Racing. Check out new episodes coming soon at onallcylinders.com. Onallcylinders.com. Thanks for listening. See you next time.